Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast. So the UK has a new Prime Minister. Liz Truss, former Foreign Secretary, was announced earlier this week as the winner of the Conservative Party's leadership election and was appointed by the Queen on Tuesday. She enters office with a long to-do list. Inflation is soaring, driven by energy prices, which are set to rise to alarming levels over the next year. The interlinked war in Ukraine is ongoing. The UK is facing a recession. The list continues. Truss has remained tight-lipped over the details of her policies, outlining tax cuts, reforms to the IR35 rules for the self-employed, the return of the triple lock for pensions, which was paused over the summer, and the scrapping of the social care levy. She has also indicated that she will review the Bank of England's mandate and has hinted that she will merge the FCA, PRA and Payment Systems Regulator. So what will her premiership mean for the UK and how will that impact UK markets? I'm Sally Hickey, Chief Reporter at FT Advisor, and with us this week are Sue Nofka, Head of UK Equities at Schroders, and David Henry, Investment Manager at Quilter Cheviot. Hi both, and thank you for joining us. Hello. So Sue, to come to you first, how do you think that, that trust will tackle the cost of living crisis, and how will this impact inflation in the UK? I think she's going to go big. I think we're going to see a, a shock and awe type package. Um because she has limited time with the the fixed-term parliament. We've seen over the summer the high and volatile gas prices and what that has done to inflation expectations. So I think she has done some thinking and is likely to come with a package that will deal with some immediate problems, possibly create some longer-term issues... Um, that would be my my expectation from where we sit today. And do you think that uh, the ongoing impact, the ongoing rising inflation will be successfully subdued in the next year? What are your thoughts on on her ability to tackle that? Energy costs are the the key contributor to inflation. I think that's what she's going to tackle first. There are a number of um, ideas that she might come out with which would typically cap the inflation numbers at a peak of just 10% in the fourth quarter of this year and allow inflation to subside probably slowly but but not push past that 10% peak into 2023. If energy prices are are capped and inflation is capped at 10%, then the likely impact on recession is more shallow than might otherwise have been the case. And that is somewhat helpful. You mentioned in your introduction about the Bank of England. It's not clear what mandate change might result in. If we just look at the Bank of England's task for now, they are somewhat caught and beholden to containing inflation. And they've been late and rather lacklustre in their actions thus far. One wouldn't want them to push too too far. And that's a bit of an unknown. The impact on sterling, which we've seen weakened substantially over the summer because of the litany uh, of issues and because of inflation. Sterling has already been really weak. We're we're back to um, multi-year lows. 
I think that that's a real pinch point. Can the the package of measures put a floor under sterling or does it lead to further sterling slide? And that's really important also for inflation because we import so many goods and um, we can't get away from the impact of weaker sterling on inflation. And you mentioned uh, the Bank of England don't want to push too far. Do you mean push too far to raise interest rates and sort of hamper the UK's economy? Yes, I do. And do you think that's a risk or do you think that's the, the fear of that have prevented the bank from being too efficient in, in quickly raising rates? I think the, the bank got off to um, an earlier start than the Federal Reserve and the ECP, but has been quite cautious in raising rates. All the central banks in the Western world have really been slow and had kept the transitory view of inflation for, with hindsight, way too long and possibly even many commentators were saying it was a risk to allow inflation to take hold. Then we had the Ukraine crisis at the end of February, which really ignited energy uh, prices and stoked inflation beyond what expectations had hitherto been. I think that there is a real conundrum there. Um, we've got a, a forthcoming Bank of England decision. Um, I read this morning that there were four options on the table for them, ranging from zero uh, increase up to 75. Uh, and that seems very wide to to me. I think we are going to see further rises, but perhaps peaking lower if inflation is contained to just 10%. I can't believe I'm quite saying just 10%. <laughs> um, but, but that might allow the Bank of England not to push rates up to the the four and a half five percent, which, when you think about the the margin for for borrowing, really becomes quite penal for a, a number of businesses as well as households. Sure. And David, to come to you, th this this kind of conundrum. What are your thoughts on uh, on the points that uh, that Sue has raised? Do you think that Liz Truss will kind of act quickly and and start to pull things down, or do you, are, are you concerned over the sort of policies over the next year that we'll have coming? I think Liz Truss, in many ways, has an easier job than the Bank of England. Um, you know, the, the policy seems to be at this, they seem to have set out their stall that this is going to be paid for by borrowing rather than tax cuts. And the implication that you might be a wee bit concerned about off the back of that is that is inflationary. But I think looking at the tax cuts that are being planned, most of the benefits seems to be for higher income individuals rather than those on, a, on perhaps a lower income. Now, higher income individuals have a lower propensity to spend than people at the lower income end of the spectrum. So my sense is that the inflationary impact of tax cuts, if they are as planned, is going to be relatively muted. I think the Bank of England's got a real problem um, because we need, and you know, central banks around the world have a similar issue, we need to get a handle on inflation, but we also need to keep borrowing costs low. And those two aims don't sit particularly well with each other or easily with each other. I think the Bank of England has demonstrated in the past that they are obsessed with keeping a relative floor under the property market in this country. They are very aware of how 
leveraged and exposed the average individual in the United Kingdom is to the property market. And I think that keeps a lid on interest rates, ultimately. Um, actions also that we saw seen over the past couple of years, you know, the stamp duty holiday, pouring petrol on a very, very warm UK property market already, in my view, not necessarily required. But I think they're very conscious of the cost of borrowing. And ultimately, this comes back to the to incentives. What are we incentivized to do as a society? Well, keep borrowing costs low because we've got a lot of debt. And if we've got inflation above that target of 2%, we're inflating away the cost of that debt. Ultimately, if inflation is above target over the next five to 10 years um, and we take on all this debt, that debt has proven to be a decent inflation hedge. And given the past couple of months, both Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak have been trying to appeal to the Conservative Party members as opposed to the country as a whole. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on, will there be this sort of screeching U-turn as she comes into number 10? What are you kind of predicting? I mean, that would be be some move, to be fair. Um, Maybe that's the era of postmodern politics that we live in. I mean, it, it is important to bear in mind that for the last two months, Liz Truss has been speaking to about 170,000 stakeholders rather than the country at large. Um, uh, my sense is that it would be straight. It would be very, very bold of her to do a U-turn immediately. I think that the plans that they're laying out are the least worst option for the majority of the country. Ultimately given the choice between tax rises, having to wear the cost of the cost of living crisis individually as a society or borrowing more, I think the vast, vast, vast majority of the country would accept that borrowing more is the least worst option. And I think that's the route that she's going to go down. And you've brought me quite nicely onto my next question, which is is for Sue, which is the impact of this, uh, of the potentially incoming Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng's um, less concern over high levels of debt perhaps than previous Tory chancellors. What impact do you think this will have on the UK? And again, how will this impact UK equities? How will you know international investors be seeing the UK with this ballooning debt pile? Well, I think international investors have um, had an inkling. So we, we've seen the, this year sterling move um, in terms of, of well, 140 to the, the dollar down to 115 that that's quite some move uh, and investors have been voting with their the feet internationally the western world is also moving um, in concert more or less from a period of quantitative easing to quantitative tightening so that means rather than central banks buying back um, bonds they're going to be issuing them um, there has to be an appetite on the part of buyers for that that debt. So the, this is the risk. They have to sell a vision of um, reform and attractive growth of the ability to repay. So it's a little bit like an individual going to ask for a, a loan or an overdraft extension. You've got to convince your, your bank manager that, that you have the ability to, to repay. And I think that's what the, the new cabinet will, will need to do. But I completely agree um, with Dave that the range of options, it is the the least bad. It was completely unsustainable for households and businesses 
to be able to pay. People just couldn't. Uh, and then you get into to civil unrest. Um, so I think the, the convincing of the international investor is probably easier the, than trying to, to deal with uh, unrest on a very substantial scale. I, I think the, the key for trust is getting the messaging right. Um, I think we can get the vast majority of the country to buy into this course of action if we frame it as wartime finance, which is where we are. I mean, ultimately, this debt is having to be accumulated to pay for the corollary effects of what's going on in, in the Ukraine. So I think if you get the messaging right, then actually this could be very, very positive for her because let's face it, in terms of Amanda, it's not particularly powerful at this stage. Um, and if she ends up doing what Theresa May do, did and calling a general election, then she's going to need to get a lot of stakeholders on side very, very quickly. And that's you raised an interesting point of the messaging, and that seems to be what, what President Zelensky has already said, you know, the rising inflation, high energy costs are the price of freedom. I'm wondering how long you think the UK can tolerate this and whether there's the potential that and I mean I know we're sort of veering into international politics which is not the area but I'm interested in your thoughts on on how much you think the UK can tolerate of high inflation high energy you know costs you know no handouts which trust has been quite clear she's saying you know she's going to focus on the higher end do you think that the UK can withstand that I mean the economic data is pure economic numbers purely don't look that healthy um I think I think the British public will surprise people by their willingness to pay for this action. I think the average person feels that this is absolutely the right thing to be doing, to be standing up for Ukraine. And there is uh, the economic cost is, is the cost of that at this point. I think the government look like they are going to step in to try and make things as smooth as possible. But ultimately... The idiosyncrasies of the United Kingdom as a country, we're an Ireland nation, we have to import a lot of goods, um, means that we are quite exposed to to inflation and you can see that in the numbers. But obviously it depends on how long it goes on. It's the x-axis rather than the y-axis necessarily. But I, I think the vast majority of people accept will accept this, in my view. I think we also need to see households and businesses undertake some efficiency and self-rationing as well uh, and, and that's what higher prices would do so as well as a cost of energy crisis we have energy security to think about we have um, the greening of uh, energy uh, and these are all sort of medium to, to longer term issues that have come more under the, the spotlight because of the high prices uh, and the impact of energy not flowing um, into Europe. So these are the, the other underlying things that I think the UK will need to tackle to underpin a scenario going forward that looks more attractive than, than it has done in the last 12 months. And that, I guess, is is the big uh, issue at the at the heart of the energy crisis is is the balance between, you know, the pain that that consumers will take, but also that it will cost money to invest in higher energy security. And I wonder, given that the I think the latest date for an election is twenty twenty four, do you think that there that 
there will be a focus on on kind of long term energy security, you know, insulate Britain, which doesn't seem so bonkers now that mm. that all this is coming. Do you think that there will be that focus on on long term prospects, or are we? I in- would hope that there's talk about it at least. <laughs> I think it, it's quite a short time frame. I think May May twenty four is um, po- possible. Um, so there's not that long to to get going with things, but I think these are really important issues to debate uh, and start to put some markers in the sand, whether it is incentives or um, people undertaking these projects themselves. Sure. And David, to come to you on, you know, at the crux of all of this is the impact on on UK equities, which have seen, you know, huge outflows in the Mm -hmm. past couple of years. Do you think this trend is set to continue? Um. I mean, I was looking at the the piece that was written on FT Advisor. I was quite surprised, but the level of outflows actually that the UK equities have seen so far this year, given that performance has been pretty good versus other markets. I mean, we've had seven straight years of outflows, um, so it would suggest that we're not necessarily going to see a screeching turnaround, uh, turnaround tomorrow. I mean, ultimately, for investors who are looking for discounted opportunities into individual companies. There are some companies, I'm so sure Sue would agree with me, given what her day job is. I, I would say more than some. <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty Many. of opportunities in there. And actually, if you look at, you know, some businesses that are listed in the United Kingdom versus overseas peers that do very, very that have very, very similar businesses, there is a discount there. Um but the trend of outflows, I think, doesn't look like it's necessarily going to turn turn short term, no. Are there any particular sectors or indeed companies that you are quite positive on? I mean, the the, the obvious place to begin in the, in the United Kingdom is energy and the energy exposure that we have and actually the overweighting to, to old economy and inverted commas type sectors. So if you're looking for a route into that sector I think you could do a lot worse than look at the UK at this stage yes and Sue the same question to you well I think that there are plenty of opportunities in UK equities the market overall is cheap it has a good mix of sectors that have some inflation proofing characteristics Um, in addition to the commodities utilities areas I think banks look quite well placed combination of modest inflation um, interest rates above um, zero but not so far they they haven't had uh, a hot market for for lending and if we have a shallower recession slowdown then that's not uh, a bad outcome for them and People look at, at, at this sector in the light of, of the global financial crisis. And I think the, the crisis we face today has different characteristics compared to in the past. So that would be my, my thoughts. We're always, as human beings, trying to solve the last problem. And you say recession and people think big, ugly, nasty recession like 07, 08. There's absolutely no guarantee that that's going to be the outcome this time around. And if you look at historical stock market performance during recessions, the stock market bottoms a long time before the economic numbers start to get better. So I think that there's a real risk to the upside here that actually Mm. what we're trying to plan and project for in the market doesn't actually turn out to be as bad Mm. as maybe 
some of the downgrade or some of the market moves have been suggested? Or that, you know, it's already priced in at the moment and so the only way is up. Well, if you yeah. look at um, the components of market performance in the UK year to date, although the UK equity market as a whole is one of the, the best performing major markets that has been held up because of the commodities exposure, the larger international companies who have the benefit of sterling weakness translated into their profits and dividends. But the areas of weakness have really been concentrated further down the size spectrum into the mid and small cap ends, and particularly the domestic companies. And those are the areas that, that could actually surprise people to the upside because they have been de rated to quite attractive levels and maybe a floor has been put under the worst fears and as investors our job is to look past any gloom today for opportunities for the future well that's a great point to end on um sue and david thank you very much for your comments and for speaking to ft advisor today and thank you for listening we'll be back next week normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.